Many people allow worldly valuations to determine their worth. If they have status and rank in man's eyes, or the position society deems as worthy, then they are valuable and bring value to the people or organizations they associate with. That's not how God determines our value. God gave man value when he gave them life, and when we recognize that, it helps us to use our life in service to God through Jesus Christ. Hi, I'm Femi Asabin, a preacher for the Church of Christ. Thank you for tuning into today's sermon, We All Hold Value in Christ, taken from Matthew 8, 14-17. This sermon looks at how Jesus intentionally helped heal those from the lower ranks of society, showing his concern for them, acknowledging their God-given worth. Hopefully, this sermon will help us realize our worth in Christ and live life reflective of it to help grow the church and bring glory and honor to God. There's some people in the church who don't think that they hold any value to God, to Christianity, to Jesus, or to the congregation because they look at it through the lens of their lot in life. You see, we have a society that values prominent people based upon status, money, influence, and it shuns people who don't have any of those things. So people who work regular jobs, do menial tasks, have no influence in life, they're looked down upon. And one of the most important roles in human history is being forsaken because the monetary value that it has is almost none. You see, motherhood has been replaced with career women. We have outsourced it to daycares, to other means so women can make a name for themselves so they can get some status in this world before they have children so that they can feel that they're worth something because society doesn't see mothers as being important. But we serve a God who does not see us as society sees us and we serve a God who sees value in each and every person living because he gave them the breath of life. And so if society doesn't recognize your value no matter what role you have in life, no matter what position you play, if you were born, God sees value in your life. A good way to see this demonstrated is through Jesus in Matthew 8, which is going to be the focus of our sermon. But as we think about this in this section where Jesus has just come down from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, he comes across three people, performs miracles for them. But from society's point of view, they're nobodies. A leper, 
who was outcast, who had to tell people he was unclean when they got too close and couldn't live in the city. But Jesus heals him. A servant whose master was somebody, a centurion, but the servant was a slave. And Jesus heals him. And I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to presume that Peter's mother-in-law was a widow because she stays with her son-in-law. And that would be abnormal for a woman at that time because if she was married, she'd stay with her husband. If she had sons, she'd stay with her sons. But it appears she's staying with her son-in-law. So she's a widow. Somebody who has almost little or no status in that society. And Jesus sees her sick and he heals her. So these people whom society would deem as nobodies who were outcasts, who had a poor lot in life, Jesus sees value in them. He heals them. Shows them that they are worth something because God cares for them. Matthew 8, starting at verse number 14. And when Jesus was coming to Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever, and he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto them. When the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. The healing of Peter's mother-in-law is an interesting story. Not in the fact that Jesus healed her, because Jesus healed a lot of people. But her response to the healing. Now, we all have been going to church for a while, and we all read our Bible on a regular basis. So we know that when we come across somebody who has been healed, what's usually the response? They might leave with joy. Jesus tells them, don't tell nobody. They might go tell everybody. And then that's the end of the story. But right here, we see that this lady was healed. She gets up and serves. And I think that's telling us something because the very act that she did is a reciprocation of what Jesus himself was doing. You see, she understood the blessing that was bestowed upon her by Christ and in gratitude for what Jesus did for her, she serves him. The attitude I think we all should take. But in highlighting her servitude to Jesus, what Matthew does is he references Jesus, who is a suffering servant, in Isaiah 53. Let's turn there real quick. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when, 
We shall see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Now, this is what Matthew quotes. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before shears is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. He was taken away from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off of the land of the living of the transgressions of my people. He was stricken and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence. Neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. The suffering servant is what Jesus is referenced to in this passage. And I would dare say, the grateful server is what Peter's mother-in-law is in Matthew 8. And there's something about that attitude to serve for the purpose of God that is instructive to us as Christians when we recognize who we are in God's eyes. You see, Jesus was described as having a form that nobody would want. Being beaten, taking on the iniquities of everybody to glorify God. Peter's mother-in-law, a widow, who probably was used to serving Peter and her daughter and had a lowly status in the house. And I know a few mothers Sometimes it's a thankless job, but you do it out of love, out of gratitude, knowing that your service, while it might not be thanked verbally, is appreciated. And you don't look to the status that you get, but the love that's received when you serve from your pure heart. And there's something about being a servant that is so in line with the attitude that Christians should have that I believe that this verse 
this passage is telling us something a whole lot deeper that's in contrast to the attitude of many people that received a blessing from God, from Jesus. I think it tells us how we're supposed to respond. When we recognize that we've been blessed by Christ through his actions, through his sacrifice, and our sins have been taken away, we should be willing to serve. And it's not just in this passage that highlights that. But what's interesting is not a lot of people are recorded as being servant to Christ. I think one of the other passages that you'll have to look at is Luke 8. Let's go there real quick. Luke 8. And it reads, I'm going to start at verse 1. And it came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod, Stuart, and Susanna, and many others which ministered unto him unto of their substance, servants. They ministered to Jesus. It speaks of these women who were in these roles that probably were overlooked because they were not preachers. They were not apostles. They were not the ones who were responsible for delivering the message and being in the forefront and getting the glory and fame. But yet they still served Jesus. And some people would say you look down on them because they don't get none of the glory. They don't get none of the fame. But no, scripture makes a point to highlight the fact that they serve Jesus from their sustenance. And just think how valuable they were. Because while these apostles, these disciples with Jesus are in the forefront teaching and preaching and baptizing, these women are in the background bringing of their sustenance. So that they can go out and do the very things necessary to bring salvation to the world. It's an important role, even if it's overlooked. And this tells us that we're not supposed to be so caught up in the role that we serve, the role that we have, because it's valuable to God, because it all adds to the spreading of the gospel. So it doesn't matter what your lot is in life as long as you are in service to Jesus Christ. A servant. Jesus even tells his apostles, the disciples in Matthew. I want to say that's Matthew 20. He says, if you will be great, you would be a servant. Don't be like the Gentiles and seek some type of authoritative role. Be a servant. The least of you will be the greatest. Why? Because you understand that it's not about how the world sees you, but it's how God sees you. And so as we consider how we Perceive, recognize value as Christians. We have to get over the fact that we look at the person that's in the forefront. 
We have to get over the fact that we look at the one that's receiving all the accolades because they can speak good, because they're, they're the ones that is seen. We have to see it as God sees it and see that everybody has a part to play in the promotion of the gospel. And you might not get recognized in this lifetime, but God sees you and you will get your reward in heaven. But when we think about service, we must also consider, because in this passage in Matthew chapter 8, it references Jesus being in line with Scripture two times. We just read how Matthew utilized the suffering servant as a, a, a passage to justify the healing that Jesus performed, but also in uh, the earlier passage where he heals the leper Jesus tells the leper go pay the offering that Moses said pay in the law and show yourself to the priest what am I getting at Jesus is doing everything according to scripture Jesus didn't come to this world and say I got all these powers let me flaunt them let me go out and heal people. Let me go out and multiply food. Let me cast out demons so people could look at me and see how great I am because I have these powers. No, he did everything according to scripture that was written thousands of years or hundreds of years in Isaiah's case before he even stepped foot on this world in the form of Christ. That tells us that our service must also be in line with scripture. We can't get outside of ourselves and say, I want to do this because it's going to bring me some kind of prominence. I want to do this because this is how I feel. No, we must learn scripture and be so rooted in it that all of our actions and all of our motives are guided by the Holy Writ so that we do not find ourselves operating outside of God's will. Because it's easy to fool yourself and tell yourself that I'm doing this for God when you're only doing it for yourself. All you have to do is turn on the TV any Sunday morning. A lot of people are false prophets in the name of Jesus. And what did Jesus say? Depart from me, I never knew you. But Lord, didn't I cast out demons in your name? Didn't I do these great works in your depart from me? I never knew you. We do not want to be a part of that group. So we must make sure that as we serve Christ, we do it under the authority of Scripture. And when we do it under the authority of Scripture, we're going to do it in such a way that glorifies God. You see, because we recognize that if I know that I'm not the one who determines my value and God has already placed value in me being that he gave me life, recognizing that he has also given me a spiritual gift to which I can perform for the upbuilding of his kingdom. Then all we have to worry about is utilizing our spiritual gift. Look at Peter's mother-in-law. It would have been easy for her to get up and say, hey, Peter, I'll be back. I'm about to go tell all of my friends that Jesus just came and he healed me. And I must be somebody great because I didn't even ask for it. I was in my bed and Jesus came and he, he woke me up and 
I'm somebody, I need to go tell her. No, she did what she normally does, but she did it for Christ now, which is a lesson for us. The service that we can render unto Jesus is the abilities and gifts that God has placed in us that we are already utilizing. What do you do in your everyday life? What do you do for your job? I'm pretty sure you're good at it. And I'm not a betting man, but if I was, I'm pretty sure if you just sat and thought about it, you could find a way to utilize that same skill set for the church. And you wouldn't have to get accolades from men. You could do it and get praise from God and be okay with that. Because that's why God gave you that gift. And also when you were baptized, God put his spirit in you and he gave you a spiritual gift for what? The upbuilding of the kingdom. If you read in Romans, I want to say that's chapter 12. It talks about how everybody was given these gifts so that we can work together to build up the church. And when you read these gifts that are mentioned in Romans 12, I want to say that's um, also 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14 in there talking about the church. All of these gifts, Ephesians 4, all of these gifts are for the body. None of those gifts are for the person that has them. None of them. So what does that tell us? We are supposed to be working together in the service that we do for the glorification of God. Just think how much the church, I'm not talking about the congregation, I'm talking about the church. Just think how much the church would grow if members in the body looked outside of themselves and said, I might not get no glory, I might not get honor, but I'm going to serve God with the gifts, with the abilities that he has placed in me, not trying to be somebody else, but being who God made me, and I'm going to work for God. How much would the church grow if each and every person took that attitude? That's how we're supposed to think. Because we can, we can be like many of the people who Jesus performed miracles on and walk away blessed but scripture never recounts anything else they did or we could take the attitude of Peter's mother-in-law get blessed and utilize the natural abilities we have and serve Jesus build up the church Store up for ourselves treasures in heaven and make our lives really mean something. Because we all got gifts. And a lot of times what we focus our gifts on is for things that are going to perish with this world. So we work real hard at work. And we get some extra money. And what do we do with it? We go on vacation. So we can let our hair down when nobody sees us. We buy a new car. And we don't get nobody a ride to church. We buy a bigger TV. 
to watch something that's going to put something sinful in our mind. But if we utilize those same gifts for the church and learn to mold ourselves after the image of Christ through the service that we render to him through work in the congregation, we would be better for it. We wouldn't struggle with sin as much as we do. We would grow the church, the congregation, ourselves. And dare I say, we would help somebody grow spiritually. And with that as our mindset, we would see ourselves as God sees us. We wouldn't worry about the status we had in this world. We could be a nobody and be content. We could be like the leper, the servant, the mother-in-law, get blessed by Christ because he sees value in us, value enough to put us into service for him. He died for us and we ought to live for him. And when we're doing that, we're not worried about if anybody sees it. Because if our motive is to be seen by man, that's your reward. But if our motive is to really honor God, nobody might not ever say thank you. Nobody might not ever acknowledge it. And you might go home tired. You might end up a little bit broke, used, but it'll be for the service of God and you will be compensated by God. Brothers and sisters, all I wanted to do was to try to put it on our mind at this time to really see what's valuable in life. We're at an interesting period, not in the world history because God has seen all this stuff before. But we're just at an interesting period in our lifetimes. And people are trying to search for meaning and see what is valuable and, and what's really important. And we have taken time to come to study God's word, to acknowledge that we believe that there is a Christ who's coming back. So we ought to live like it. James says, faith without works is dead. And a lot of times, I'm including myself, we profess to be faithful, but our works don't evidence it. And the efforts that we put into the world, we could take, we could take some of that and put it into the church. And that'll grow us, that'll grow this congregation. It'll bring glory and honor to God. And we'll show the world that we really believe what we say about Jesus Christ. We've all been blessed when we were baptized. We were all given spiritual gifts in that baptism. Let's utilize them until God calls us home. I'm not sure where this message leaves you, but I hope that you will consider who God is calling you to be so you can reach your full spiritual potential. I'm not sure where that sermon leaves you. My prayer is that you will contemplate it and incorporate it into your Christian life. If you're not a Christian, I ask, what's stopping you? 
God sent his son, Jesus, to freely extend the gift of salvation to all who will follow him. To get that salvation, one must follow the example set out in scripture. The book of Acts, which details the church's beginnings and expansion, shows us biblical examples of those who were saved. A good place to look is in Acts 2. You get Peter preaching the first gospel sermon and the response of those who heard and believed his message. They repented and were baptized, which added them to the church Christ established. The Bible only teaches of one church. If you want to be added to it, go to your local church of Christ and tell them your desire to be washed of your sins and to live a godly life. Study your Bible, put its teachings to practice, and you will make heaven your home.